chapter 6, verses 9 through 17, page 1661, if you're using a pew Bible, 1661, almost to the very end of the Bible, page 1661, 1661, 1661, if you're using a pew Bible, large print sheets, Revelation, chapter 6, reading verses 9 through 17. Revelation 6, starting in verse 9 and going through to verse 17. My friends, hear the word of God. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe, each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky split apart as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Well, my friends, we see in our text today, this is the theme, the Lord avenges his people. The Lord punishes, or or the Lord avenges his people who are put to death because of the word of God and their testimony. The Lord avenges his people who are put to death because of the word of God and their testimony. You can see here that we're in the section of the seven seals. Children, seven is the number of perfection. Seven seals. So these seals, it's like you seal an envelope. The Lord Jesus is the one who has the authority to break those seals, and not only to reveal what's going to happen, but also to put into effect, to cause to happen those things. So now we're in the midst of the seals We've already looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. 
and the white, the red, the black, and the sickly green pale, bringing destruction upon the earth. As we mentioned last time, this is a difficult text in front of us. So it's tough. It's tough, children. It's tough, older person. And really the, the, the issue here is, is this, is this what we just read? Is this referring to the end of history, the end of time? Or is it referring to something in time, in history? As it a definite period of church history in view with a temporal, a time judgment at the end? And we already mentioned that Matthew 24 may help us to understand that this may very well be referring to judge, a judgment in time, a judgment in time, namely the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70. Now last time we looked at the fifth seal. Notice that it is Christ by his spirit who provides for the martyr's cry. It is Jesus himself who by his spirit gives the ability for the martyrs, for these witnesses who have paid for their faith with their lives. They've died. They've been killed because of the testimony of the word of God and, uh, and, and their own testimony. They have been butchered. They have been slaughtered for the sake of Christ. We, saw, we see throughout church history the testimony of the martyrs. I think of St. Bartholomew's massacre in 1572, which thousands of French Protestants were slaughtered, including a very famous admiral by the name of Coligny. The river through Paris ran red with blood for months because of all the people who had been killed. You know what the Pope did? Did he, did he say, oh, what a horrible thing? The Pope had a medal struck in honor of the occasion. He celebrated the slaughter of French Protestants. I think of the two Margarets at Wigton in Scotland, May 1685, during the killing time. So children, two, Mar two women named Margaret. One was 65 years old. Margaret McLaughlin, the other was 18. Some of you may be approaching the age of 18. And they tie these two women to stakes in the river so that the, as the tide came in, they would be drowned because of their testimony for Christ. The older woman was drowned first, and then Margaret Wilson was drowned. But before she did, she started singing in the words of the 25th Psalm, Let not the errors of my youth nor sins remembered be in mercy, for thy goodness sake, O Lord, remember me. The Lord is good and gracious. He upright is also. He therefore sinners will instruct in ways that they should go until her voice was choked. She was drowned by the rising tide because people hated her. But why did they hate her? Because they hated Jesus Christ that she was faithful to Christ to the end. I think today of the slaughtering of Christians, including men, women, and children, by a group called Boko Haram in Nigeria. And you can look later on the world map to see where Nigeria is. It's in Africa, 
Boko Haram is a Muslim group. There are many Muslim countries where people are being killed for the faith today. And so we, we understand that this extends throughout church history. And these martyrs then, what are they doing? They're crying. They're crying in a loud voice. How long? How long? Or until when? How long, O Lord? Holy and true. Wilt thou not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Notice the cry is not for us to take vengeance, but it is our cry to God that he would take vengeance, that he would punish those who have hated him and hated his people. And of course, these that are martyrs have the white robe, the clothing of Christ's righteousness, They're also given rest. Take a little rest. You've paid the price. Your soul is in heaven now. Take a little rest, a little longer, until the completion of the martyrdoms. And that leads us then to the sixth seal. Verse 12, you see, verse 12, the sixth seal, in which we have this worldwide shaking. Now, I don't know if any of you has been through an earthquake. I don't think I've ever been through an earthquake, but you can imagine. Some people here may have been through an earthquake. And it's not a fun experience because the ground starts shaking and things get loud. And oh no, the, the, the walls may start collapsing and so forth. And that's what you see here. That's what you hear here in terms of when Christ breaks that sixth seal and there's this great cosmic, this great worldwide shaking. Look at the six great events. First of all, an earthquake, seismos. Seismos, a seismograph measures earthquakes today. God has established the earth so it cannot be moved, but here he moves it. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole or the full moon became like blood, red. The stars of heaven fell to earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The heaven was split apart like a scroll when rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Well, what does this all mean? What does this all mean? Well, we've already noted that there are some striking similarities between our text here and what we read last week in Matthew 24. You see, this language, like much of prophecies, what we call, let me use, you ready for a 25-cent word? You ready for this? Apocalyptic in nature. Isn't that a great word? Apocalyptic. Which means, it means that God is revealing something, but he's doing it in this very special way. He's doing it by painting these unbelievable pictures. Now, maybe some of y'all have been to, I don't know, Disneyland or Disney World, I should say. Maybe you've been to some of those adventures. Maybe, or maybe you've just played a video game. Played a video game before, and you have all of these amazing things, right? As the, as the hero goes from one door to the other and, and so forth. So these are, that, so a video game is like a picture. Well, this is a picture. But here's the difference. The difference is that unlike a video game or some fantasy like this, what is being portrayed here is actually happening. When I say actually happening, 
meaning that what is being what is being pictured here is what God is doing in this world. Now this doesn't mean that there might not be actual events like earthquakes, for example. As a matter of fact, there were literal earthquakes when Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. But the point here is that this language, this fantastic language, this picture that is being painted for us is pointing to deeper spiritual realities. That's the point. It refers to the destruction of Jerusalem and the abolition of the Jewish state which had rejected Christ and was desirous to persecute the church. And that was such in God's economy, in God's plan of things, that was such an earth-shaking, earth-shattering event that God is going to portray it in these apocalyptic terms. Notice the reaction in the earth then, the various categories of people, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the great men, the great civil officers, the the statesmen, the ambassadors, the ones who wait on the king, the chief captains, like those military officers, the rich men, the strong men, think of the athletes, think of the Olympic athletes, the strong men, think of a football player, the strong men. But not only they, but Every man, slave and free. Everyone, you see. What are they doing in the face of of this earth-shattering series of events? They hid themselves. They hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, children, have you ever done something wrong? I won't ask for a hand. You ever done something wrong? And you know you've done something wrong. You stole that cookie or you told that lie. And your mother knows you did it. Your mother knows you did it. What do you do? You try to hide from her, don't you? Remember? Some of us are older. Remember? Okay. You try your best to get away from her because she is going to be angry with you and you're going to get a spanking. Right? So, anyway. All right. Well, here it is not your mother who is coming. It is God who is coming. Notice hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, and from the wrath of Christ, that is to say the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain but who now lives, the Lamb who comes with anger, with righteous anger, for they say, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. So you see all kinds of man all kinds of men and women and children of every position in life are involved and they are 
terrified. They are afraid. The presence of God cannot be avoided by wealth or position. You can't bribe God. You can't pay him off. The wrath of the Lamb does not pass over anyone. Strength, wealth, prestige, fame, power, nothing has any relevance. Neither does poverty or slavery. It's not like, oh, we're just going to, it's just the rich people that are going to get punished and the slaves get set free. Everyone, you see, who's not in a right relationship with God is going to face his wrath. We see also then that the fall of Jerusalem had great implications for the entire earth. For you see, the entire world saw the judgment of God falling upon what had been his chosen people. And they understood, therefore, something of the terror of God which would come against them. That's what this text is about. So, I have a couple of observations and then two very brief applications. The first, first observation is this. Persecution continues today. Persecution continues today. It is still true, as I suggested a moment ago, that there are martyrs for the sake of Christ. Behind the iron and bamboo curtains, that is to say, in communist lands like China and Cuba, in Latin America and Africa, and particularly in Muslim countries, people today are losing their lives for the sake of Christ. This martyrdom then calls forth for vengeance, often in history, certainly at the end of time. So there can be judgments in history, like A.D. 70. There will certainly be a reckoning, my friends, at the end of time. So persecution continues today. Secondly, it is a fearful thing. Listen to me very carefully. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. People may be going on in their carefree ways with their lifestyles that have no, don't care about God, don't care about Christ, but they will be terrified when the Father and the Lamb, when the Father and Christ come in judgment. Now think of a mere natural disaster, just for a moment. I think of things like Mount Vesuvius in Italy, which you had superheated gas and rock reaching temperatures of over 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, traveling at up to 450 miles an hour. You're not going to outrun this. So the city of Pompeii was buried under this ash, this molten, this, this molten ash and gas and rock. Several years ago, some of us may remember the Japanese tsunami when, when the great tide came in and destroyed portions of Japan. But I also think of the, one of the most famous incidents and the explosion of a volcano called Krakatoa in 1883. This is in Indonesia, or what is today Indonesia. The explosion was estimated 
at 200 megatons of TNT. That is, say, four times, four times bigger than the biggest nuclear bomb that's ever been made. The pressure wave punctured the eardrums of sailors on ships in the vicinity. Seven times. Hot ash was shot up into the atmosphere at estimated height of 50 miles. The ash cloud was 17 miles high. There was even a dramatic drop in global temperature for several years. When Krakatoa exploded, it created the loudest sound in recorded history. It was heard 3,000 miles away in Australia. At least 36,000 people died. At least 1,000 from being burned to death when hot ash crossed the water at a speed of 300 miles per hour. People thought themselves safe from a distance of 25 to 30 miles, and yet they were overwhelmed by the event. On one island, 3,000 people died and no one escaped. Krakatoa, 1883. But here's what I want you to understand. Listen to me so carefully. Don't forget what I'm going to say. How much worse will the judgment of God be? For with him there will be no possibility of escape. You will be facing his, if you are not in Christ, you will be facing his infinite wrath for eternity. I mentioned a moment ago, those, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. That's a reference to a sermon by a minister 300 years ago by the name of Jonathan Edwards who preached the most famous sermon perhaps in American history called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Let me just quote, let me just quote a few sentences. The God that holds you over the pit of hell much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire abhors you, hates you, and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable, more hateful in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent. Snake is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet, it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you were allowed to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. So children, older person, the only reason why you're here today is because of the grace of God. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God, provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. O sinner! Consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you're held over in the hand of that God whose wrath, whose anger is provoked 
and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you have no interest in any mediator, any savior, and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself. Nothing to keep off the flames of wrath. Nothing of your own. Nothing that you have ever done. Nothing that you can do to get God to spare you one moment. So by way of application, this is what I want to say to you. Trust in Jesus, who is a faithful Savior. Trust in Jesus, who is a faithful Savior. He not only saves, but he also vindicates, he protects his own elect, his covenant people, those by whom he is bound by oath and by blood, for their blood is precious to him. My friends, refuge from his wrath is found alone in him. And therefore, flee to Jesus this afternoon. Don't let this day go by. Don't put your your head to the pillow tonight without having closed with Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And now, our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would apply this message to the hearts of everyone here. Young and older person. We pray, O God, that we would be serious about our relationship with thee and our relationship with Christ. And so, O God, work Work the work of grace in this hour, here in our midst. Oh, God, we pray, send forth thy Holy Spirit and do it for the sake and the honor of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.